Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. I think you're really going to enjoy our guest today, Coach Mike Neighbors, the head coach of the women's basketball team at the University of Arkansas Razorbacks. One of the great coaches in college basketball, uh, his path of to get to his successful landing spot at the University of Arkansas, where his home is, uh, is just fabulous. And I think you'll really learn from him. But this is a man that just loves what he does, can really teach the game, and has a fabulous, fabulous philosophy on how to grow people. I love it. He connects with people. I think you're really going to enjoy our visit with Mike Neighbors. Let's hear from our latest sponsor, Max One. Max One is the all-in-one coaching app that allows your team to train, communicate, and stay organized all in one easy-to-use spot. With all these useful features for one low price, I can't emphasize enough the value Max One can bring to your program, especially with the basketball season right around the corner. I know firsthand the importance of keeping your team on the same page as the season reaches its peak. I'm confident Max One can solve these problems for you and keep your program connected to help ensure you're on pace for the most effective season possible. Max One allows you to create individualized workouts for each player on your team with videos attached and deliver them right to your athlete's phone, eliminating spreadsheets and paper handouts and helping your players improve as the season goes on. You can then combine these workouts into an entire in-season program tailor-made to complement all the hard work that your athletes are already putting in during the season. You can even track your athletes' progress on the Max One leaderboards to see the improvement coming from your team, keeping everyone on the team accountable while encouraging a culture of competition. I also know how the calendar feature allows you to keep athletes, parents, and coaches alike as organized as possible. Workout schedules, practices, tournament games can all be created via color-coded schedules ensuring your athletes are in the loop with details on whatever events you have throughout the long season. To learn more about how Max One can help you run your program this offseason, head to their website at gomaxone.com and schedule a free 15-minute demo with a Max One program specialist. As always, mention me, Coach Brendan Sir sent you, and you'll receive a special discount if you decide to purchase. Again, visit www.gomaxone.com right now to schedule your free demo. You won't be disappointed. And I am so delighted today to have Mike Neighbors, the head coach at the University of Arkansas Women's Razorback Program, Lady Razorbacks, I guess we call them. And uh, Coach, thank you so much for visiting today. Oh, my pleasure and my honor. And uh, you can call us just Razorbacks. We dropped that. I know. I was going to do that. Seven you know, or eight years ago. So yeah. you're, you're good with just Razorbacks, man. Yeah, I was going to do that. You know, but I talk to Muscleman all the time, and I don't know what to, <laughs> you know, and I, he gets me yeah. upside down, that boy. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, I, it's, it's such a neat place. You know, when I was coaching at LSU, and, you know, and, and after 30-plus years in the NBA, I'd never been more intimidated, I mean, going into an arena than going into that incredible Bud Walton facility. Wow. What a, yeah, what a venue. Uh, it was, I was there the day it opened. I was a student, and uh, I was there at Barnhill the last day we played, and wow. I was at Bar- Bud Walton the first day we played. And it's, it is a neat place. It's a place that you kind of have to 
experience before you have an opinion about it a lot and until people are there live it's uh it's really hard to explain as a disclaimer i love women's basketball always have and uh you know and uh, my you know my mom used to say to me well you know i'm really disappointed we sent you to college you know so you could teach and coach in high school you've never done that so you know you disappointed us i said i'm sorry mom. <laughs> sorry mom and one of my regrets is that i've never coached women's basketball and okay. uh, yeah and i turned down like four wnba jobs and for timing not because of anything other than that and and i regret it because I yeah. would have loved to coach. The, the women are so good. They're so powerful in, as players and, and as people. Uh, tell me why you wanted to coach women's basketball. Because they give you Christmas presents and guys don't. <laughs> right. I've gotten two Christmas presents in 30-plus years. Yeah, and exactly. I, no, Dennis, I, I, Dennis I Rodman one and Malik yep. Rose the other. That's how. There, <laughs> there you go. What's what's the percentages of people you've coached and you got too? I mean, that's got to be a very eight, small percentage. Two out of eight hundred, right? That's not there you bad. Go. Yeah, and I'm eight hundred for eight hundred. I get a Christmas present. I get. Cards. I've got a baby on the way, and I'm getting baby gifts, and uh, that's what you've been missing out. It's the same sport so, except you get presents, coach. I love that. I love that. I, no, do I still have time? I, I, do I still I'll have tell time? You Here, here's here's the other thing I I tell you about it. Uh, I was raised by women. I didn't have a father figure in my life until until element late in elementary school. So I was raised around women. Uh, I connect better um, to the emotional side of this game than I do the egotistical side of this game. Mm-hmm. And and being a male myself, I can say that. As, as yeah. guys, I, I can tell you, I never felt good unless unless I played good personally. And the exact opposite is for us. Our, our kids, when they feel good, they play good. And and I'm better at connecting to that. I'm better at uh, connecting to that side, that emotional attachment. And so I, I would tell you that's the only difference. The sport's the same. You know, some of our tactics may be different. We don't throw a lot of backdoor alley-loop lobs for dunks. And uh, some of our cuts are different. But uh, as far as it goes, the game's very similar and Equally as rewarding, I'm sure, minus the Christmas presents. I love it. Uh, you know, one, <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that I, I really in, enjoyed out of that is uh, in the work that I've done both with women coaches and with women players is, and I'm going to say this, but don't jump me, uh, I find most of the women players with me are very, very coachable. Some of my friends have a lot of different stories to tell me. I understand that when you're dealing with women. I got a daughter and a wife, so I get it. Uh, but, you know, I find them to be coachable. And if you have credibility on the women's side, it goes a huge way. That's what I've found. Mm-hmm. Sure. Get that, then you've got them on the court. I, I The players I've had, I, I feel lucky to have had, but I know that they um, – I, I know that they buy in and believe in, and that's the that's what I like to coach. That's the way I like to coach, where I don't have to I don't have to worry about motivating. You're inspiring kids, and when you get them inspired, you don't have to worry about motivation, and, and then you can coach them. You know, I, I tell my kids all the time, I'm not good enough to coach you and inspire you. So you've got to do one of those two things. I love that. Uh, motivate yourself, inspire yourself, or coach yourself, and let me inspire you. But I, I I'm not good enough to do both of those things at the same time. So. I think we reach an understanding, and, and the people that you're talking to are exactly right. Once once you you earn that trust, and that's the number one word that we talk about, when you earn that trust, then it's a lifelong deal. It's not a it's not a season by season. It's not a game to game thing. It's 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 a it's a genuine connection, and it's uh, 
Um, you know, you mentioned having coached 800 kids. I think I'm up to about 400 now. Yeah. Uh, and I still know where all but two of them are. And the fact that I don't know where those two kids are and I don't have a relationship with those two drives me crazy. I, I want to know where they're at. I want to know they're doing well. And um, so I'll continue that quest to try to find where those two kids are and uh, make sure I, I, I do know that. But it, it it's a rewarding experience. Otherwise, it wouldn't be worth it. Well, you know, uh, I was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, Mike, down the road was, you know, I think everyone, I, you know, I always say when I do an event at Coaching You, every year I have to evaluate. I ask myself, you know, like four questions, and one of them is, why do you coach? <laughs> right? mm-hmm. And I think it's so important that you, if it's about how much money I make, it's about me getting a number yep. of wins. Shit, I'm going the wrong way. I'm really exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't, I mean, you have to win them all if you do that. You know, if, <laughs> if, if that's your motivation, you yeah. have to win every single one of them. And when you don't, it's, uh, you, you know, you don't, you, you don't become the best version of yourself when you, when you put it that way. And, you know, I will tell everybody this. Uh, the only reason I coach in college athletics is because of the money difference in high school. Uh, that's If sure. I had, if it all paid the same, I'd coach a sixth grade girls basketball team in my hometown and uh, I'd be just as happy as could be. But, you know, the way society's set up and I've got a daughter that's getting married and a baby on the way and a son starting college, it's the only reason I do it at the collegiate level. Um, so I, I think, you know, my papa, who's a very wise man, uh, you know, said, figure out what you love doing and then figure out a way to get paid for it. (laughs) You know, so I love doing this. If, if they drop the, the, the salary, uh, I'd still be coaching basketball. It might not be at the division one level, uh, but I'd still be coaching the sport and I'd still be, you know, getting Christmas presents and touching lives from, from young women, um, and, uh, around the country, wherever that would be. Hey, Mike, you know, you're, I, I love your uh, career path as a coach. Uh, and I think so many young people that come up to you, whether it be at a clinic or they listen to, you know, a podcast that you do or a newsletter that you send, they say, I, I want to do what you're doing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and they want to immediately then be hired at your level, you know. <laughs> exactly. You know, like, they know, see the end of the movie. Yeah. I want to, I yeah. want to be an NBA coach. How, I, how do I do that? Give me the one yeah. step. No. And, and, but I think, you know, you have a really distinct career path and I think I loved what happened. Could you share that with uh, our yeah, audience? Sure. Yeah, sure. I, you know, I was, I, I initially wasn't even going to be a coach. I was going to be a veterinarian and I couldn't put animals down. I could not, the ones I couldn't save, I couldn't euthanize. So I, I knew that wasn't going to be a good path for me. So I got back into the coaching world, uh, started out as a high school coach here, volunteering during my student teaching. And I graduated from the university of Arkansas, found a local high school that needed a seventh grade coach, uh, volunteered my time there. Um, luckily met enough people connected with enough people who thought that I could be a good influence on some young people. So I got a job at a high school there at Bentonville high school, school home of Walmart. Yes. Uh, at a young age, 23 and our team went one in 24, you know, I, I, the story's not complete without the, the one in 24 mention. And the fact that we hit a shot at the end of the third quarter <laughs> to win the game coach, because nobody scored in the fourth. That's how bad the basketball was. <laughs> Couldn't, couldn't even celebrate because at the time we did not know that was the game winner. But um, nonetheless, that was where I found my passion and, and realized, you know, you mentioned the word why, uh, why I love coaching. I just love the connection to kids. And whether we were 1-24 or those kids that were sophomores played for a state championship their senior year, although we lost, it was a great turnaround. Um, and then at 29 years old, Coach, I had a heart attack. 
just out of the clear blue. I'm six years into being a high school coach, a three-year-old daughter, and a genetic defect in my heart caused a heart attack and sped my life up. It really collapsed my time frame, and I understood how short life was going to be. And I wanted to be a college athlete. I wasn't good enough. I ran out of talent, so I wanted to be a college coach. So I talked to Gary Blair, who was the women's uh, coach here at the University of Arkansas at the time, and started begging him for advice and opportunity. And a few years later, he had a job that paid $14,000. Uh, and I took it. I took a $58,000 pay cut from a, a very good high school job here and went to be his, I, I, I call it his Diet Coke guy because that was my first duty was to make sure he had his Diet Coke. I didn't have any coaching responsibilities. I had nothing that felt like I was in a Division One job except I was around Vic Schaefer and Gary Blair and Kelly Bond and Amber Nicholas, all these people that have been mentors to me. And I got to see him work every day. So um, went to work being the best Diet Coke guy I could be. He, I wanted to know, did he want crunched ice or sonic ice or cubed <laughs> ice? Or did he want it in a can? Or did he want it out of a plastic bottle or out of the fountain? And I think once he realized I was going to be that diligent in the Diet Coke area, that maybe I could help him with film exchange. Or maybe I could help him with camps or something more important. And slowly but surely, I tried to you know, prove to, to he and the rest of the staff that I could be, um, provide value for him and, um, learn from all of them along the way. And it worked out to where a couple of years later, I was able to get a, uh, an assistant coaching job at the university of Tulsa and started working my way up from there, moved from Tulsa to Colorado, Colorado, back to Arkansas, Arkansas to Xavier, Xavier out to the West coast at Washington, uh, hoping along the way, like, like you mentioned that, you know, that big jump would happen and I'd get to be a head coach. And, you know, the overnight 14 year success, I finally got the first head coaching job at Washington and right place, right time, lucked into having a great team. And, um, you know, that's now the end of the movie. Here I'm at back at my alma mater, my dream school, um, with a chance to turn this thing around from a place where, you know, when we got here, they had finished dead last in the SEC the year before, and, and now we're knocking on the door of an NCAA tournament. So that's the path. That's the, the you know, the, the short version, the trailer of the movie. But, <laughs> you know, I mentioned that I mentioned three things along the way there that, I, you know, if people are listening really intently, they might pick up on that. I tell you, everybody's path may not have the exact same stops, may not involve a heart attack or taking, you know, may not involve that. But they do involve, if you talk to coaches, and I'd be interested in your take on this, but every coach either made a financial a financial sacrifice, a geographic sacrifice, or a family sacrifice, a personal relationship sacrifice. And when you talk to all these coaches, almost all of them made at least one of those. I had to take all three. That's how bad of a coach I was. I had to make all three sacrifices to get an opportunity. But um, mm. that's the underlying thing that, like you mentioned, in these, these people who want to – to pursue this, sometimes they're not willing to take that pay cut when, you know, I'll have coaches just like you say, approach me at a clinic and say, Hey, if you have a job open, yeah. give me a call. So I'll call them and I'll say, Hey, it pays $8,000. And they're like, huh? No, I can't do that. Well, you said you could. <laughs> you said you wanted to be can't. a coach. Yeah. You said yeah. you wanted it. Yeah. yeah. So and that's, I think financial geographic and family sacrifices is, is something that's probably I would say true to maybe, you know, 90, 95% of the coaches that you see doing it uh, collegiately or professionally. You know, my high school coach was the Hall of Famer, UB Brown. 
in, oh, yeah. in Little Fairlawn, New Jersey. And uh, Yubi was uh, the best teacher in the school. And uh, he was also the defensive coordinator on our state championship football team and a head basketball coach on a horrific team, like a <laughs> like a one in twenty something team when he got the job and he turned it around to I remember when he left fourteen and ten. It was like the greatest turnaround I'd ever yeah. seen, right? And then in the toughest league in the state and then and then the baseball, his state championship baseball coach. And when I was ended up he and I remember when he the, after my sophomore year, I just fell in love with this guy, and I said, "Man, this guy! I want to." I told told my mom, "I want to be a coach." She mm-hmm. said, "What's wrong with you, man? What's wrong with you? You know, you're going to go yeah. to college. <laughs> you're not going to be a coach." And uh, and and then he left me after his sophomore year. I felt abandoned. He went and became a college assistant, and he was making like twenty something thousand dollars. And he went and took a college assistant job at William and Mary for six thousand dollars. He mm-hmm. made he made that. He did. All three of those sacrifices. Yep. yep. And, and well, that, I, I think if you trace back yeah. and you read biographies and you read, you know, even bios on their their web pages, I, I think it's pretty easy to distinctly pick out yeah. one of those three things. You know, there may be other factors involved, but I, those are the three that I've seen uh, most. So any anybody that wants to do it needs to be ready to make those. I I speak at a, a, a seminar every other year down in in Atlanta. And it's, you know, kind of, so you want to be a coach type mentality. And the very first thing I do is put, put, put people through a test. And I ask them about 10 questions or, Uh are you ready to be unpopular? (laughs) Uh, You know, I, I tell the story about at at Washington, literally two Fridays apart coach, this happened. We, I was the assistant coach. Everything was rolling good. Our, you know, we just finished our year. We decided to go have an end of the year uh, dinner downtown. So we all load up on campus and we're going to drive downtown. Well, I drive this, you know, assistant coach's car. It's a little, you know, mini SUVs, Ford Explorer type thing. I got 15 kids trying to cram into my car to ride with me. You know, they, they, they want to ride with me downtown. Okay. To go eat. And I, you know, I got to kick people out. We've only got eight seatbelts, whatever. You know, we had to rock scissors, paper to see who got to ride with me. One week later, one week, seven days, I get the head coaching job in that in the middle of those seven days. We're going to go downtown and celebrate. Guess how many people tried to get No one want to go with you now. <laughs> None. Not one. Not one kid tried to get in my car. Now you're giving out uh, playing time, baby. <laughs> that's right. It changes. And, now you're making uh, rules. Oh, I, what a I remember guy. sitting there going, wow. You know, so there's so many things that are different. And there's so many things that we just don't uh, prepare ourselves for. But, um, you know, again, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'm wearing short pants, a, short, a t-shirt and tennis shoes right now at work. I wouldn't great? trade it for any, anything in the world. I love it. Hey, talk about Kevin McGuff. He's a hell of a coach. And, uh, and yeah. you know, now he's at Ohio yeah. state, but you guys, as a team, went from Xavier out to UW, and uh, which is one of the great, great schools. For, uh, uh, we have a lot of uh, people that listen, Mike, uh, f- from 50 countries. And uh, mm-hmm. University of Washington, out in gorgeous Seattle, is one of the most beautiful schools, but a great, great university. Mm-hmm. Talk what it was like. I mean, you talk about a guy from Arkansas going out to Seattle, man. Yeah. What a culture shock. Culture shock. Yeah, yeah culture exactly. Shot for sure. And, yeah, it, it – uh, it was uh, it was one of the best things, one of the scariest things I ever, I ever did, and, and ended up being one of the best things too. Just the uh, becoming aware of, of of a different type of lifestyle, a different. I can tell you this: this is a true this is a true statement. 
Seattle was the number one most educated city in 2000. What would that year have been? 2011. 11, okay. 11, or 12 yeah. or 13. Yeah. Well, the year we moved there, it drops to number two. So me and Kevin moving to Seattle, yeah. drop the education <laughs> from number two to number one, just bringing it. Bringing an Ohio guy and an Arkansas guy into the zip code, we dropped them from number one to number two. That's, that happened. That's great. Uh, but it, it was a great experience. And, you, you know, you mentioned Kevin. And, and what I tell you about him is, you know, I worked for Gary Blair. I worked for Susie McConnell. I worked for Kathy McConnell Miller. I worked for Susie Gardner. Wow. And all those people taught me how to be great assistant coaches. But it was Kevin that, that got me ready to be a head coach. He was the one that really encouraged me that, hey, you can do this. I, you may not want to do it right now, but, man, you need to start doing some things to prepare yourself. And, Gave me opportunity, gave me responsibilities, uh, and to, to make mistakes and, and learn and set in on meetings with administration and be in charge of practice and be in charge of some things, be the head coach of some things while I was still an assistant. And just, I, I think he's the smartest coach I know as wow. far as just of the game and how to manage kids and, you know, how to, how to be a role model. Uh, he's, he taught me that you know, things aren't always near as serious sometimes as coaches want to let on and don't be afraid to do your own thing. And and those things really resonated and carried me over to when that opportunity came. He was so encouraging and has been um, just, you know, stayed. He's, he's a, the daily phone call to check in. And anytime I've got an issue, he's the first phone call. So how about that? Um, you know, and that, the, the fact that he did, he, he, he got me ready to be a head coach and he's done it for other people, not just me, his, his coaching tree is uh, branches way faster than people that have been coaching the number of years he has. So um, it's uh, you know what he's doing up there at, at in one of the you know hardest positions to be in at Ohio State, uh, where um, you know winning the conference championship is the 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 standard. Um, it's just it's fun to watch to see what they do. We follow each other. We play a very similar style and. Uh, bounce a lot of things off each other, but uh, obviously somebody I'll obviously be indebted to for the confidence and and then the, just the opportunity to to be a head coach when I was still an assistant coach, and that's something all people at all levels need to do with their their staffs. They need to prepare them for that next step. That's part of what my job is: is to make sure my assistant coaches and my GAs and my film people all have the opportunity someday to say they've gotten their dream job. Mm, that's awesome. Take a quick time out. We'll be back with Mike Neighbors. Fast Model Sports is the world's most comprehensive, versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, Fast Draw. Fast Draw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy to use interface that can be used on both your computer and iPad to providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. It doesn't stop there. Along with FastPro, they have other great programs such as Fast Scout, which helps coaches create clean, professional scout reports customized for your team. FastModel is trusted and used by all NBA and WNBA teams, 85% of Division I college teams, and over 8,000 high school and new teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills on their online coaching community. 
For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Hey, we're back from a timeout with uh, the head coach at the University of Arkansas Razorbacks, Mike Neighbors. Um, you talked about Kevin McGuff. When he takes the Ohio State job and you're named the head coach, uh, now in your four-year run, if I'm not mistaken, I remember, I remember, and again, I love the Final Four, and I remember seeing you coaching in the Final Four, mm-hmm. correct? Okay. That's right, 2016. Right. Okay. And then in... Uh, and then in 17, you decide to come, not decide, but you have a great opportunity to come home to the University yep. of Arkansas. Okay. Tell me if I'm, my mind has not lost me totally, but after you left that poor program, that poor guy took over, oh, man, they had a rough time. Am I right? Well, you know, it's uh, – Win and loss wise, I say. The win and loss record, yeah. The win and yeah. loss record and the league record is – you know, there's when there's transition in today's, yeah. you know, with today's climate with kids, there was a number of kids who, you know, either wanted to come to Arkansas or wanted to keep playing the style we did. It was just there was some uncertainty there yeah. for a while, and uh, it just hasn't recovered, you know. And there were we obviously we graduated a lot of great players and Chantel, two two all, all Americans in Chantel and and Kelsey Plum, uh, but you know there was uh, there was a lot of kids there. There's still a good team there that. I hated to say goodbye to Ari McDonald, who's now at Arizona, uh, getting ready to be drafted and taking her team to the NCAA tournament. There was Amber Melgoza just completed her career. There's one of the top five scorers of all time. And Baylani Henson, Gigi Garcia, the kids we'd recruited. Saying bye to those kids is really, really hard. It is never an easy thing. And, you know, people say all the time, coaches get to transfer. Coaches yeah. get to leave on their own. They don't get, you know, and, and those people don't dig deep enough. Um we, I got to leave, but I had to pay $650,000 out of my own pocket back to the University of Washington Whoa. to break my contract. And I did it. I paid it. It's paid back to them. And it, so it was not a free, I didn't get a one time free transfer. Right? It cost <laughs> wow. uh, that's how much I wanted to be at Arkansas. And that's how much I wanted uh, to be at this school and uh, at my alma mater. And, coaching in this state around my family and sure. uh, friends. And so it was, you know, that was part of it. And um, it wasn't an easy decision. It wasn't an easy move, but it was one that I look back on now and, you know, you know, it was the right way. Sure. Right thing. How, I mean, Kelsey Plum, one of my favorites. I mean, my goodness, you know, just a beautiful gal, but man, did she have game. Goodness gracious. Oh, yeah. Boy, oh, boy. She's one in a lifetime. I mean, I, I mean I've yeah. coached a lot of, you know, you have one, but this one is one that is just different. She just had a different uh, approach, a different focus that I still to this day am uh, in awe of. She, uh, I, I got to work her out about uh, two weeks ago down in Florida. She was uh, she's doing some part-time broadcasting, which she, I mean, not shocking to anybody. She's also a rock star in um, but we got to go in that night. We had a couple of hours and she wanted to do an old shooting workout back like the old days. Jeez. And, uh, we got in the gym there in Florida and just wore it out for about two hours. And, uh, I couldn't move the next day. My arms were so <laughs> sore. My shoulders were so sore. I, I think she made over 1200 shots in a little over an hour and a half. And just a, a kid who had a, a unique focus and a unique approach that, um, you know, I, I, I was lucky that my freshman year was her freshman year. You know, my first year as a head coach was her rookie year. And, 
Uh, I still say and, and mean it with all humility. She taught me way more about coaching than I ever taught her about basketball. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of those relationships that we talk about that um, it, it, it will last forever, whether we're that's broadcasting or, or playing, it, it's going to be a, it's, that's a forever relationship. That's so neat. And, uh, and I do agree with you. I mean, I, my players over the years have, I've learned way more from them than they've learned from me because, uh, you know, the, the coaches that just order players to do things are really missing out on an opportunity yep. to better themselves, you know? Yep. Sure. And, 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 I, and I don't remember who I read it from. I know you're an avid reader as well. You may you may recognize this. I can't remember if it's Tim Elmore uh, or, or one of the Heath brothers in one of their books, but they they made a, a comment, a statement. They said that leverage is the lowest form of leadership. Mm. And I I think of that every single day when I'm trying to get in. When I, anytime I'm thrust into a leadership moment, am I using my leverage, my title, my position, my authority? my power over them. Is that, is that why, is that my form of leadership? And if so, that's the absolute lowest form I can be doing this at. You know, and I, awesome. I just, I, I run it through that filter every time I'm thinking along those lines. So, um, you know, yeah, I think as coaches, if we don't, if we don't rely on our kids, if we don't, there's a great clip. Some people have probably seen it on, on YouTube. If not, it's worth searching, but, uh, there was a timeout during a game when Kelsey had been trying to explain something to me on the floor. And, and I, I wasn't really interested in listening to her while there was a live ball. And I said, hey, you know what? We'll just talk about this during the next time out. And so I met her, and she, she took the clipboard out of my hand and just started drawing it up. And I, there was a little back and forth there. And I didn't even realize the camera was on us at this point. But uh, probably, you know, a good 30 or 45 second back and forth drawn. And I kind of nod my head, nod my hand. We turn around and walk off, and she gives me a little pat on the butt. Like, <laughs> let's go, a little attaboy, yeah. you know, like. That moment, that moment will be tough to top in anything that yeah. I've ever experienced as a coach. But that just that little attaboy, coach. You know, here we go. Let's go. You got this. Go tell the rest of the team what I just told you. Um, That's awesome. You know, I, That's I, great. I'd be stupid not to listen to a kid that was on the floor playing, that was on the floor seeing it, and was, you know, I, 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 I if I could gift every single coach, a young coach especially, the word vulnerability. Have some vulnerability. Have some. Um, you know, have some trust in your kids, make some mistakes, let them see that you're going to make some so that when they make some, they're not going to feel like they're going to get killed for it. You know, I, I, that's the one thing I wish I would have had at a younger age, uh, more vulnerability, more, uh, more trust in the, in the kids that we're doing it for, for the, for the right reasons. <laughs> Those are leverage and vulnerability man those are two yeah. takeaways already thanks for coming mike i appreciate it <laughs> wow yeah, wrapped up the end yeah. drop the mic let's let's not let's not let's not screw the rest of this up that's yeah. for sure. so what happened uh i'm, I'm coaching uh, i come in the nba 27 ub brown my high school yeah. coaches brings me in with the hawks and so i am in awe mike fratello is the other assistant and these guys are like I don't even know what the hell the NBA rules are. I don't know. Sure. I've hardly <laughs> seen any games. These guys are masters, and they are teaching from a you know an alpha dog style. And mm-hmm. and UB is the exact opposite as me personality wise. And so uh, then I go and Fratello takes over as head coach. Same thing. It's like UB, same as UB. And so then I go and work with Chuck Daly, who's <laughs> even though they're all great friends. Total opposite. So mm-hmm. the first shoot around we have, Chuck says, okay, you run the shoot around. I say, okay, fine. 
and I and and I uh, and I tell the guys, here's how we're going to defend the pick and roll. And Dumars and Isaiah Thomas, they're looking at me. Lambier's making a, you know a few snide remarks, yeah. you know. And uh, and I said, uh, how was that? And he said, uh, that's not the way I like to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, what do you mean, Chuck? And he says, watch the next game. We go do shoot around. We come time to pick and roll. He just was and gets time to say how we're going to defend the pick and roll. Just stop. Yeah. And I said, okay, I get to that part. Here comes Michael Jordan going to come up and pick a roll, and he says, uh, okay, uh, uh, Isaiah, Joe, how do you want to defend him? Yeah, right. And all of a sudden, ask them. Ask them. Yeah. Their opinion is yeah. what counts and not mm-hmm. yours. And yeah. I, and that was that was the ultimate teaching thing for me. I mean, the, the, the let players, it empowers them. It makes them yes. think. And yes. I, and And 90% of the guys in the NBA at that point had never done it. Right. And right. so that was a wonderful thing. And and I look a lot of college guys, being a college coach now, a lot of guys at college, they think we have to tell them everything. Mm-hmm. Guess mm-hmm. what? Most of those kids are smarter than me. Uh, you know, I just I just think it's that's what that's the case with my team for sure. Yeah. I, what, my kids if, embarrass me. Chantel, who I've now had on have on staff, I was trying to do the same thing you're talking about. We were gonna really mess with Stanford on how we regard this pick a roll and we we're going to do it one way with one player and one play with another. Chantel, so coach, how are we going to know? How are we going to know what's coming? I'm like, you're going to know. Watch. She goes, well, why don't you get out here and do it? And I was like, okay, I can do that. You know, just your ego just takes over. And I got crossed up. I think I blew both Achilles and two tendons <laughs> in my. I mean, I was like, okay, how do y'all want to do it? And that was valuable lesson from now on. I've. We all have to have those moments, though, coach. And yeah. I think those when you have those moments that you hit the wall and you get past it, you know, you get past that. And, um, it's, I, I, it is, is one of those things that you can't really experience until you experience, you don't know what you don't know until you don't know it. You know, that, that's a great <laughs> line that I've heard a hundred times, but just understand it's okay. If you don't, it's the way you handle it with your team. And to me, it's a faster way to build trust. Uh, if you've got that vulnerability and you ask them the questions and you let them have that input, Man, that's that's a quick way to quick way to jump a few hurdles uh, towards building trust with your team if you'll if you'll be vulnerable to do that. Women's basketball in the SEC, I'm not sure there's a better league or has been consistently since I've been really following college ball and living in Baton Rouge, you know, now and having for the mm-hmm. last five years. I mean, uh, the tradition in this league, uh, but now the coaches in this league are phenomenal. I think you know, you know. Uh, it's know. scary. Yeah. It's scary when you look over there and you see the Olympic, the the person that's going to be coaching our Olympic team this summer against yeah. you, or you look over there and there's Gary Blair who's in about six Hall of Fames and won more games than I've seen. And you got you know Vic Schaefer who's been to two national championships in the Final Four. You got all Matthew Mitchells and Kelly, all these people that have done it. You look around, you you know it's it's that old adage again, a pawpaw neighbors of if you walk into a poker table and you can't spot the chump, you're the chump. Uh, <laughs> that's the way I felt walking into that first head coaches meeting in Destin. I was like, okay, I'm just going to sit here and listen. I am not opening my mouth um, and prove how stupid I am. So uh, the SEC is unbelievably difficult. You know, I think here recently the Pac-12 has yes. become a challenger for it. But as you mentioned, you're talking historically. You know, when you look at the number of championships, the number of people playing the WNBA, the number of Final Fours, the number of NCAA tournament wins, it's not even close. The SEC is still the dominant when it comes to that. I think there's some challengers. The ACC's had years. Yes. The, you know, the Big 12, they all have years. But when you talk about steady, 
consistency and as you mentioned just the night in night out um challenge that it is for your your players your your style of play your preparation if if you don't come prepared you get embarrassed and you have those moments that you're talking about so it, it keeps you sharp it keeps you wanting to learn it keeps me watching film uh, it keeps me reading the extra book reading the extra watching yeah. the extra uh ted talk or listening to the extra podcast because I know I'm not going to have a smart advantage. I'm not going to have an intelligence advantage over any of these people. And, and very few of them do I have an experience advantage over. So I've, I've, we've got to do something uh, to give our kids the equal fighting chance. And for us, that's become trying to connect, you know, trying to stay connected to our kids better than most people do and, and have an approach and identity and a, uh, <clears throat> some systems in place that allow us to compete uh, against the best of the best every night. You know, there happens to be, uh, you know, and again, I'm a huge Title IX advocate, uh, you know, but one of the things that we've seen, uh, you know, and, and I'm, I'm a little upset by it because I believe in giving women every advantage that there is. I'm happy that women are in the mm-hmm. NBA, 11 women are in the NBA coaching now. Yep. But I was upset by, you know, Muffet. McGraw, you know, from Notre Dame, when she made a statement, I'll never hire a man, a man that can yeah. be an assistant. I, I just didn't think that was really, you know, looking at it, uh, and, you know, and, and, you know, and, but I mean, you know, we've always had a, a now, and I know a lot of my friends that are women's coaches are upset that men have jobs. And I, I just think that's wrong. I just believe we're supposed to hire the best person out there, sure. man or woman. And, and ironically, you know, okay, Dawn Staley's incredible. Incredible, uh, but you know, and 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 Nikki's you know Fargus is is terrific coach. But you know we have you know between Gary, Vic, Matthew, yourself, these are terrific coaches. I mean you know yeah, and, and that love working with women that should be the most important thing that they love working with players and helping develop them in person on and off the court. Uh, do you feel, guys feel that as coaches, that, that little backlash or something? I, you know, I feel lucky to be involved. I really do feel lucky that we have the opportunity to do it. Uh, I think part of it stems from the fact that if you look around at youth basketball, if you look at the grassroots, uh-huh. it's about 95% dads and uncles and, and men coaching those teams. It's really? So it starts there. And it, it goes up. I mean, as, as you go to the higher levels, the number of males really drastically decreases. So I still feel lucky that we have it. I, when I heard Muffet's statement, it was obviously – it was bizarre because, you know, we were talking about Kevin earlier. Kevin was on our staff for a number of years during their national championship years. Sure. Um, and then Jonathan Sippus was on staff too. So the timing of it was really weird. I, I don't know. I mean, it was a, a weird, weird time for it to come out. But – uh, I like you. I, I, I think we just, we've got to do what's best for the sport. And sometimes um, that doesn't mean hiring a specific gender. It means hiring the person that wants the job the most and is best qualified to do the job at that point in time. Uh, you know, I think the University of Arkansas needed a, an alum at the time to come in here, somebody that loved the state. Uh, and at that point in time, I was the best person to do that. So I, I don't want to – it's a reverse-type situation where I don't want to be uh, not considered for a job. And, hey, listen, I was – there were a number of jobs I tried to get along the way when an AD would say, Coach, I'm, I'm sorry, we're, we're going to try to hire the best female. <clears throat> and that was fine. I, I understood it. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I just think you should probably stay away from the nevers and the alwayses. That's what I've always said. Yeah. You know, I would never, I would never always, but, um, I think there's a place for, for both genders, for, for both approaches in this game. Uh, I mean, and in, in, in you talk to a number of players, they prefer a specific gender over another to be their head coach or to be their assistant coaches. So 100%. I think 100%. that's what you got to monitor. And I think that's what you got to be sensitive to. And I, I am, I, I think it's funny when people don't think that I support the women's in this sport. That's why I do what I do is because I'm trying to promote women's basketball. And I just happen to be more connected to it. I, I don't feel like I could have been a good college men's basketball coach i just don't think i could have done it yeah. but i think i can do this and i can help and grow the game and do things that will help a number of females uh, a number of males and, and not worry about uh, what their gender or their sexual uh how they were born man i just don't want that to matter so um i i, I know everybody's got their own opinions on it yeah. but I, I do feel lucky to have a spot in this profession and a platform to to be able to help grow the game and <clears throat> as long as they as long as they'll let me keep applying uh, hopefully i don't have to apply for any more jobs i hope this is my last one yes yeah. uh, but if so i hope those people will will have that approach when it comes to it whatever's best for the game i always get a got one of our faculty members that coach <laughs> you is of course the great gino oriema and yeah. uh and i love every time you know when i i listen to gino talk about his team and he goes Hey, my guys, they understand. They call them guys. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. you know, but I mean, and, and those women love him and he loves yeah. them. You know, I mean, and, and you used the golden word before connect, you yep. know, the most yeah. important part of anything regarding people yep. is to connect with them. We're going to take another quick time out and we'll be right back with Mike Neighbors. Let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind in the basketball shooting machine industry that enables players and coaches to stay connected, design and upload training exercises, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is, without question, the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Don't forget to mention Coaching You and receive $300 off on your next Dr. Dish purchase. That's right. Mention Coaching You or the podcast and get $300 off your Dr. Dish. Mike Neighbors, head coach, Arkansas Razorbacks. Uh, fabulous season you had, and uh, I know how enjoyable that was. Uh, you know, you've just done an amazing job in turning this program around. Mike, what's your coaching philosophy, and what do you what do you try to bring to make this program successful from a basketball standpoint? Well, the, you know, the first thing we had to do was get people in here, whether they were from the state or just loved the Razorbacks. We had to get the right people in the locker room. We. Uh, we only had five players left the day we showed up on campus. We had been hit by, you know, a, a number of transfers and just a, a number of years of, um, 
you know, kids not enjoying their student athlete experience. So philosophy wise was to make sure we, we got the right type of kids in here to start with. And rather than um, build it around, you know, quick fixes, we went and recruited freshmen. Uh, we didn't really go. We, we got some transfers, got kids that knew exactly what we wanted. Um, and that first couple of years was ab- about establishing um, what was going to be important to us. You know, the systems. I've, I've really gotten hard away from the word culture. Yeah. Uh, I know it's a buzzword. And I know a lot, it still carries a lot of weight. But we've, we've kind of switched over to, to make sure our systems were in place. And I know it's probably just replacing one word with another. But um, that, that each kid had a plan, that each plan was unique to that player, and each player was unique to our system. But, you know, I, I would tell you that we build it around trying to find three or four kids who want the basketball at the buzzer. You know, I, I try to break it down to the simplest form. I, I don't need 15 kids that want the, want the ball at the end of the buzzer. Uh, if I have that, we're not going to have a very good team. Uh, I want three or four, and they can be spread out among classes. They can be spread, you know, freshmen, sophomore, junior, seniors, I don't care. But if, if we start getting more of three or four kids that, that think and believe they need the ball at the buzzer, uh, we're probably not going to be the best team we can be throughout. So uh, we go about trying to find three of those kids, three alphas, three kids that really, really feel confident with the ball in their hand and want it. And then try to find three kids that know those three kids are alphas. <laughs> and, hey, maybe maybe I don't want the ball, but I want to help them get the ball, and I want to screen for them. I want to rebound for them. I want to run the rim for them. I want to call ball screen. I want to do all those things because I know those three are real good and I'm, I'm not quite there but I've got a valuable role and if I play to my role with those three kids now we got a pretty good team then then I need three kids that are going to celebrate the you know I call them the towel poppers or the towel wavers or the kids that, that you know it's, it happened in men's basketball those guys that started doing the skits basically yeah. celebration along you got to have three or four of those players on your in your locker room that just Love being, love having that Razorback logo on their chest when they walk into class or walk around campus or around town. They just, they want to be here regardless of, you know, whether they play one minute or, or 30 minutes. That's three more of my roster spots. And then I want three kids that are young, freshmen, sophomores that maybe aren't quite sure yet. Maybe they're going to be an alpha. Maybe they're going to be, a, you know, a contributor, a role player. But they're just not quite sure where they're at yet. So, you know, now I'm at 12, and I've got a good solid roster. I've got a locker room that everybody understands their roles, and I can reward their roles, and I can, you know, take care of these alphas who's, you know, they're, they're is fragile egos. You know, when, you, when you're an alpha and you've got want the ball, doesn't mean you're going to make it every time, and that's a fragileness. I can't handle 15 of those. You can't. I don't think there's anybody that can. Nope. So. We try to get three or four of each of those kids to build our roster and then teach them how we're going to play and then let them go to play. Uh, we're not a big, um, you know, we don't have a lot of, you know, people say it looks like y'all play without structure. We we led the country this year in transition points by, you know, almost 100 points over the second place team. Wow. Uh, we do shoot it fast. We almost 80% of our possessions um we take our first shot within the first 10 seconds of the shot clock. We don't turn it over. We lead the country in fewest turnovers per game. So we're going to play fast, what we call functionally fast. We're going to play incredibly quick, but we're not going to turn it over. The second we start turning it over, we're going to slow down. So we build it around that offense first and then try to teach them to play some schematic defense to give us enough chance to win. But 
that's our philosophy. That's our systems. Um, and it's, you know, worked pretty quickly for us here in the SEC. A little Mike D'Antoni in women's basketball. I like a little that. bit. A little bit. Yeah. And I think it's a great way to play. You know, I remember back, uh, I want to say 15 years ago or so, I can remember when we were doing clinics and all of a sudden all the women coaches, I said, many Many women coaches, not all, uh, wanted to learn the triangle. They wanted to yeah. learn Princeton yeah. offense. And those yeah. are really hard for anyone. That's why no mm. one runs the triangle in the NBA. And, and, it's hard. And the Princeton is a wonderful, beautiful offense, but it's all about reading defense. And uh, and players at the NBA level are poor at reading defense. Uh, you know, So I think it's important that you embrace a style that you like that you yep. think is works for them. And I, I think that's, exactly. that's really neat, Mike. I really do. Talk about the influence. I think the influence, talk about that WNBA influence for you in recruiting, for the women to aspire to that play for you. And just as the overall, and I'm sure you've had players as Kelsey that play yeah. in the league. It's Here's what I'd say about it. I, I think it's about 50-50 in kids that have that as a goal and kids that really don't. Sure. You know? So, and, and that's okay. But yep. the fact that it's there now, the fact that it has sustained, you know, the number of years that it has and is, you know, making collective bargaining agreements now that have really been a positive sure. uh, draw for some of the top end players. I think it's going to be a, a problem for some of the, the rookies. I, I don't know that they know all the other unintended consequences of this new collective bargaining agreement, but it's a tough profession to break into. It's the hard. There's just not very many jobs in the WNBA, and there's so much competition for it. But there's, you know, overseas has really uh, grown as well. It's expanded uh, with the FIBA opportunities, not having more than three foreigners on each team. It's opened up some new leagues. So, you know, there's a number of kids who have a chance to, to make money for a number of years uh, doing what they love uh, and, and build into a, a brand and a platform that when they – when the ball does go flat, they're going to have something else to do with it. You know, it's not yeah. it's not life-ending money, but it is life-changing money. I sure. mean, they're living good lives, and they're getting to do what they love. But the fact that there's a professional league out there, regardless of whether it's, you know, equal pay, it's about opportunity and exposure. And um, I would tell you that about one in about every five recruits – they, they want to go that path. They want to hear what your plan is to help them get there. The, mm-hmm. the other four or five, they uh, maybe I want to, maybe I don't. We'll see. Uh, it's not near as important, uh, I think, as it is on the men's side where NBA is the probably the opposite. It's probably 80% of the kids or 90. I don't know. You probably have a better gauge for that than I. Uh, but, it it borderlines uh, at Power 5. It's only about 110%. Yeah. You know? <laughs> okay, there you go. Okay, and so the AAU coaches, it's 150. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's different for me. But th- the yeah. fact that the league is there is an alternative for that small percentage of people that that already know when they're coming out. And, you know, I, I think you've got to have a plan for that, and we do. We, we talk to kids differently, but that's – that's where our style of play comes in. If you're one of those kids, you're going to be one of our alphas. You're going to be one of the kids that we run the ball through and That's give great. to at the end of the buzzer and, and set up for plays. So uh, that that league being there gives us um, the end of the movie, like we talked about yeah, early, yeah. the end of the movie for these kids coming uh, to experience the college experience before they do go play professionally. You know, you have one of the <laughs> – most beautiful practice facilities I've seen in college athletics out there. How great is that for selling point to your women that you're recruiting? It, it's, it's awesome. You know, it's, it's funny. We don't send pictures of it out 
very early in the recruiting process. Uh-huh. If we think, if we're confident that we're going to get a visit from the kids, we let it be, we let it wait till they get to campus. Oh, good. Uh, because I think naturally I've been around the country well enough to know that when I say I'm from Arkansas, I know the reactions a lot of people give me, you know, sure. I've seen it for my, my 51 years. They, <clears throat> they think one thing. And then when they show up, there is this immediate pop when they walk into this place and they're like, I had no idea. And you're like, yeah, yeah, wait till you, there's other things you're going to have no idea about too. So, um, you know, it's one of those things that's really important, uh, to this area being, being the only in-state, um, power five team, no pro sports, you know, within a statewide drive, it's important to our, our fans. It's important to our boosters. It's important to everybody. So, facilities are, are when you walk on here, you get an immediate pop and you're exactly right. It's, 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 it's beautiful. It's uh, functional. It's, it's everything a, a kid could need under one roof. And uh, an incredibly beautiful campus in a neat, neat town of Fayetteville. Uh, you know, yep. a, you know, and the town has just ascended since they brought our Baton Rouge Raising Canes in there, too. I think it's there just, you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> no, you got it. No, it is, it is a neat place. And, and, Mike, I really appreciate you visiting with us today. Of course. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know you're, uh, I'm a, a huge fan of yours, have been for years, and, uh, and, and I just uh, and I love the woman's game, and I appreciate you sharing that, that love with us. Well, we appreciate you helping us grow the game. Everything you do, coaching you has been uh, at the forefront of that for a number of years, and it's helped so many people. So thanks for your efforts. And uh, any way we can help anybody, they can go on and sign the newsletter you've mentioned a couple times. Yeah. They can go to coachneighbors.com and sign up for it. And it comes out once a month now, and they can go back and read back articles. And all we're doing is trying to grow the game. It doesn't cost them anything. I never sell their addresses to any groups. Uh, they don't have to worry about getting spammed. Uh, and it's just a bunch of coaches willing to share. That's awesome. I love it. And it's one of the things we enjoy reading here uh, at Coaching You. But uh, thank you again so much. And of course. best of luck down the road, Mike. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate you. Thank you, Coach. Wow. Uh, University of Arkansas women's basketball program has just grown so quickly. Mike Neighbors is a coach par excellence. Thank you so much for sharing, Coach. And again, you know, we're, we're big in basketball all over the world. Men and women basketball, I learned so much from so many of my women coaching friends in the women's side of the game. They have done such an incredible job, and this is one of the real top people. Make sure you get his newsletter, okay, at Coach Neighbors, uh, you know, that he's given you. I, I think it's a fabulous thing. Make sure you take advantage of that. And uh, hey, until next week, this is the coach, Brendan Sarah.